stop turning that damn dial. We found him. This show is dedicated to the 750,000 fans and listeners spanning from the islands of Hawaii to the trailer parks of North Carolina and over to the whorehouses scattered throughout Europe. <laughs> Zip it. I wasn't finished. Of other shows and podcasts. Not my problem, people. You wanted an intellectual show that worked the brain like mental Viagra, getting old gracefully, and having a sex life like a rock star? Well, then keep your fingers crossed, because you're now listening to Alan Wooford on Diary of a Bald Man. This follically challenged air thief and borderline coffeeholic will educate and inform you about non-penetrating UFO abductions, developing the perfect chicken and dumplings, and how to live life at the speed of dark. Makes you wish you were hard of hearing, doesn't it? And here he is, with a voice that has you yearning to hear nails being dragged across a chalkboard, Alan Woofer. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the incredible Keith Kramer. Keith, thank you for the intro. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Alan Wolford on Diary of a Bald Man. Today's recording date is March 23rd, 2022. Now, this show, 2016 Blinky Blue Eyes, is dedicated to Jeff Daughtry. Jeff and I knew each other back in the 90s, so if you listen to the show about Detroit Rock City, he was there when all that event was going on, and I'm dedicating it to him. Because for the simple fact, my version of 2016 would not have occurred had it not been for Jeff. Jeff, this show is dedicated to you. So, in getting into it, let's think about 2016. It was a high-speed, low-drag you know, type of year. Uh, when I left Alaska in 2013 and I was working in Memphis during a project at Kellogg's, I thought that after it was done and things that it caused me to leave Shimmy to be closer to family were completed, that my happy ass would be heading back out. I was a contracting gypsy. I'd worked for Department of Defense. I loved Alaska. I'd recovered from the issues that I had while I was in Hawaii. And I had zero intentions, zero, of being locked down in one location. And part of that gypsy came from being a military-dependent, military brat. Dad was retired Air Force, and, you know, we traveled the world, and as a contractor with IMAC and with other agencies, I continuously traveled. I was used to living out of hotels and living out of bags. So while you're listening to this, you know, think about yourself. Did you have a period of time or an event that made you travel, or what made you stay home? Was it the comfort? Was it the ability to look around and say, this is mine? You know, we have different things that make us and compel us to change over the years. And 2016, as I said, was high-speed, low-drag. Barack Obama was the current president and commander-in-chief, and at the end of the year, Donald Trump was elected into office. And it was during that time that they had the accusations of Russia hacking into the DNC and releasing information on the Clintons and others. So that propelled Trump into office is what they believe. You know, and with Hillary, you got to remember, she became the Democratic candidate at the 2016 Democratic National Convention, becoming the first woman to be nominated for a major political party. 
In March, President Barack Obama visited Cuba, and that was the first time a sitting U.S. president had visited the island since Calvin Coolidge back in 1928. In Switzerland, the Gothard Base Tunnel, the world's longest and deepest railway tunnel, is open following two decades, two decades of construction work. And I bring this in, you know, having been in construction, I thought that was an enormous event. Then, to, you know, top everything off, that fucking Justin Bieber, no disrespect, Justin, you know, people talk shit when they have that little bit of jealous streak, had the top two music spots, the top two, for 2016 with Love Yourself and Sorry. The 2016 Olympics were held in the Rio de Janeiro in Brazil for the first time in South America. Then, you know, Joaquin Guzman, known as El Chapo, who is considered the world's most powerful drug trafficker. I actually watched the, the series Narcos and saw some of the stuff about his background. You know, people thought he was small time. They thought he really didn't have much to offer. The man was brilliant. I mean, he, he did some amazing things. And, you know, of course, it's a show and they dramatize him certain things. But, yeah, you had to see where he came from. Then, you know, one of the things I remember, and this is something because I haven't been in uh, the military and haven't been in safety, you know, it, it was sad because according to the Bureau of Labor, over 5,180 construction workers were killed in the course of work. You know, the, the number one cause was traffic accidents. Then it was seconded by attacks by other people and animals. Then followed by falls, electrocution, exposure, and fires. Think about that. Most of the deaths from construction-related work were from transportation or going to and from work or being assaulted by other co-workers. What the hell were we thinking in 2016 that caused this mentality where we were just, you know, lashing out and attacking one another? You know, and what was so odd about that year, they looked at the number of construction fatalities considering uh, the number of military fatalities. And so, I was like, you know, there's something going on when construction is one of the deadliest types of labor or trade you can get into, you know, because the defense casualty analysis system reported that 811 members of the military, including active duty, reserve, nasty guard, you know, passed away in 2016. And, you know, 278 were killed in accidents, 16 in hostile actions compared to construction. You know, hostile actions, we're talking combat, right? But the number one cause of death to the military in 2016 was 304 self-inflicted suicides. You know, you, you hear all these things about 22, the 22 vets a day that, you know, commit suicide and die. It's a very real thing. You know, construction last year in 2021 and in 2020, they had high numbers a suicide. You know, so when you're listening to this and then you're talking to others, maybe not about the podcast, you're just talking to them at work. Kind of take a step back and evaluate that communication and the way you're speaking with one another. Because that individual may be going through something, they may be planning something, and you may be the one set of ears that picks up and detects that emotional trauma or that emotional issue 
that gets them home safely. You know, that keeps them from driving into this and keeps them from driving into that. You know, one, one of the biggest things when we talk about the fatalities for that time in transportation, there was so much work going on. They were fatigued. Believe it or not, a good portion of the transportation-related deaths were from fatigue. They were driving, you know, their motor skills were down, their attention was down, and, you know, I, I saw a good portion of it was related to distracted driving from looking at cell phones. You know, they've been tied into a plan or a project for 12 hours. Now they were catching up on FaceTime, messages, texts, things like that. So things distract us. Things take our focus off of what's going on. And when we come back, we're going to talk to you about the distraction of 2016 that changed my life forever. And we'll be back in just a moment. Hello, you are listening to Alan Woford on Diary of a Bald Man. This episode is powered by Josh and Laurie Philpott, the owners of Crater City Inc. in Middlesbrough, Kentucky. Visit them on Facebook or CraterCityLink.com. While Alan can and does cause trauma to your mind, Josh and Laurie can add art and beauty to your life and body through ink therapy and body piercing. Once the ringing between your ears has stopped and you've recovered from the bald man's rambling, go to mindinconstantmotion.com and submit your comments and suggestions. Now, sit back, shut up, and enjoy the show. Okay, thank you, April. I appreciate that. So, 2016. Well, let's back it up a bit. As I told you in the beginning, this was you know, dedicated to my friend Jeff Daughtry. Now, Jeff and I have known each other since the 90s. And like I said, you know, we were in Detroit together and uh, we were in some uh, hostile situations. We'll leave it at that. But one of the things Jeff did is after I left Alaska, I was working at the Kellogg's facility, you know, in 2013, 2014, he calls me up and in Jeff's usual manner, Wolfie, what are you doing? And I told him, and he told me to get off my ass, stop grabbing handfuls of cereal and stuff in my face, and come to East Tennessee to a little place called Greenville and work with one of the contractors that was out on his job. So to give you a little bit of background, we were building the U.S. nitrogen facility in Greenville, Tennessee. Jeff was head of safety for the construction side, and he was trying to get me out a little bit close to him. We had been looking out for each other for years, and... I said, fuck it, you know. Uh, my friend Paul had died earlier in a construction incident in a confined space. Jeff was getting me out there to deal with the people I really wanted to connect with, you know, the ones that were in high risk. So I get out there in 2014, just before the 4th of July weekend, and I'm staying out at Nolichucky Bluffs. If you have never been to East Tennessee, or if you plan on coming to East Tennessee, you need to look at Nolichucky Bluffs. Jeff hooked me up with Pam Sadler out there, and Nolichucky Bluffs has a particularly fond memory for me because not only did I live there, which I planned on for just six months, you know, I, was good. I got boots on the ground. Uh, I was head of safety for Miko that was handling the scaffolding and the insulation. And once, you know, things were getting into motion, my ass was going to be back on the road. My boots were going to be on other grounds, casting other shadows. And that's not the way it turned out to be. 
So we go through 2014. We broke dirt. You know, there's not much out there. Uh, as we're setting equipment, my guys through Miko were setting the scaffolding, you know, insulating certain portions. And then 2015 comes up in 2016. And through this period, uh, Jeff moves on to other things, you know. So he steps down and he says, Woof, Woof, you got to get up, you got to do this. Well, at that time, Melissa steps up, and Melissa was Jeff's alternate. Um, she takes over for a while, so I'm still progressing, you know. I've got my boots on the ground. I'm working with a great bunch of guys. I'm with Drew Fife. I'm with Shane Oliver, uh, friends of mine that are, have been in, and stayed within the safety community for a while. You know, brought him in. Uh, Vishal Patel, he came in from Kellogg's. Drew came in from Kellogg's after that job ended. Uh, Shane Oliver. So I had a great group of people, people I knew, people I loved, people I respected. And that was great, you know. So the time comes up when, after Jeff and Melissa leave, I take over as the head of safety for the project. So I've got numerous contractors. I've got the USM people. I've got all these people I'm responsible for. But one day in 2016, I just happened to be walking the site. You know, and, that, and that's one of the things I truly enjoyed. I could see how the groups were doing, how the different contractors were getting along, talking to the safeties, talking with the uh, nitrogen people that were looking at the systems in place. And I look over to the 2000 plant, and here comes my future wife playing Spider-Man. So to give you an idea, they were learning high-angle rescue. And I thought, what in the fuck are they doing? And she was gorgeous. I mean, she looked like a little spider angel. I thought it was the cutest thing. And as she was descending, you know, I couldn't remember who was on belay. I put to myself, I, I want to find out who this is because I thought it was interesting that her and her cohorts were doing high angle rescues right next to a perfectly good ladder. You know, and, and I understand high angle rescues. I haven't been a flight medic. I understand you know, getting someone down, getting them on a long spine board or getting them in a skid and getting them down to ground. But it was intriguing to me. See, previously, for 20 years, I'd been in a relationship and it was toxic. And in part, it was, you know, a lot of my fault because I allowed things to transpire. I was on the road all the time. So, you know, I, I take that. I'm responsible for that. And when you look at your previous relationships, you know, and you say, oh, it was toxic. It was bad. How much of it was, you know, because of your contribution or lack of? But, you know, let, let me get back to my year in 2016. So I'm walking the site. I'm by the water tower. And I see this going on. And I'm like, man, that, that was something else. So as the weeks go by in 2016, you know, and I'm walking the sites. I'm in the smoking areas. I'm talking to the guys. Um, I'm looking for hazards. I'm looking at things to, you know, to incorporate into programs and looking for things that U.S. Nitrogen be interested in. I saw my future wife, Rhonda, in the smoking area. And what drove me absolutely nuts, and I'm here to tell you, you want, you want to drop me? You can hit me all you want. I may drop now because I'm old as shit. But what would absolutely stop me in my tracks was I would look at her and behind her safety glasses, her little blue eyes would be blinking. 
I mean, like fucking butterflies just all over the place. I didn't know at the time it was the dust irritating her contacts. We didn't have ammonia going through the systems yet, so it wasn't a restriction. But she kept blinking. I said, she's fucking hitting on me. And she wasn't. Not at the time. So in a HR professional manner, you know, I asked around and said, hey, who is this lady Rhonda? Uh, what does she do with U.S. nitrogen? Because my curiosity got the best of me. And let me tell you, watching her walk around in her fire retardant uniform, I would say, look at that pissy walk. I mean, she walked with confidence. She walked like she was 10 foot tall. And that just attracted the shit out of me. You know, previously, like I said, I've been in a relationship. There wasn't a lot of good communication. There wasn't a lot of good feedback. But I wanted to know this individual, even if it never went anywhere. So we're walking down the 900 one day. And it, think of 900 as a concrete pad with pipes and stuff going overhead. And we're walking by and I just happen to say, what are you doing? And what does she do? She tells me she's going to a Vols game with the kids. She's all excited. And I just thought that was the coolest shit. You know, I, I didn't know anything about her other than she worked. You know, people said that uh, she may be dating others. They didn't know. They didn't, you know, they didn't get into her background. I love the sound of her voice. And she started blinking again. And it drove me insane. So we're rolling through the year. And I could not get enough of her. So I actually, you know, I actually previously in 2015... I had to go back. I was actually talking to her in 2015. I'm sorry. I, I, let me step back a minute. And around Thanksgiving, I, I was talking to her quite a bit. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're doing the diary because it was 2015 when I started speaking to her. So I went home for Thanksgiving, uh, what was previously my home in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I saw how much I missed her. But she was concerned I was getting back with the ex. Uh, not knowing all the issues that we had and all the events that we had to go through. I could not stop thinking about her. When I finally got the balls to ask her out, our first date was at Applebee's. I had a Bourbon Street steak and she had a salad. We can remember exactly what we had on that day. And it's great because the things that really impressed me about her, you know, I, I talk all the time whether it's in Instagram, whether it's in my other post, that she's just amazing. You know, I talk about her ass. She is, to me, she's got the world's greatest ass. You know, to others that have looked at her, don't lie, you sons of bitches. You know, when you looked at her little booty, you're like, man, that's a great little booty. And Granny, if you're listening, I'm sorry. that She's got a little ghetto in her, and I, I appreciate that. But what got me was her level of intelligence, you know. So as we got to learn each other, and I found her diverse background, she was like me, you know. She she didn't have a specific track. She didn't have a five- or ten-year plan. She went from being a seamstress at Levi, you know, to working on boats and making boat seats and working for Colgate, uh, which she did prior to going to U.S. Nitrogen. And I thought she was the most amazing person I met. So 2016 is coming up and there's a new nitrogen plant getting ready to be built in Iowa. And there's a French company that's based in Texas that has this contract. You know, they're getting ready to put this together. So somehow word leaked out uh, that a gentleman in this group had been following me on LinkedIn and 
they said, hey, fly down to Houston, our costs, we'll put you up in a hotel. We'd like to interview you to be the head of safety for this facility in Iowa that we're preparing to build after U.S. Nitrogen. So being the travel junkie I was, I said, okay, let, let me go down there. I flew down there. They offered me an insane amount of money. Uh, one, because I had the experience from building U.S. Nitrogen. I had the experience from, you know, some training that I received from NASP uh, for, you know, both the CSM and for Haswhopper. They liked the fact that I dealt with hazardous materials in the military as a contractor. And it was insane. It was insane amount of money. And then at the same time, my former employer, Chugach, their construction company had a project going on in the Marshall Islands. And my heart skipped a beat. It was like I saw a titty for the first time. Because I was going to hit these three remote locations. I'd done Wake Island. I'd done Shemya Island. And now I had the opportunity to go down to, to the Marshall Islands for the Space Fence Program. I'm not going to talk about it. you got to Google that shit on your own. Don't ask. So... All this is going on. All these great events. Iowa, uh, the French company wanting me to go out for the building of that. Giving me French classes. Giving me information. Uh, basically telling me here is a blank check. And then on the other side, the gypsy side, you know, says your third remote island. Go out there. Get your gold coin. Do the thing that very few people have got to do. And I was considering it. I went and took my physical. I went and took my drug test. I already had the security clearance. Didn't have to worry about that shit. I just had to get the FSO to upgrade me when I got out there. But all these amazing things happened. Then I looked into those damn blinky blue eyes. And I talked to her. And I said, this is what I've been offered. This is where I can go. This is what people want me to do. And that gorgeous voice said, go ahead but I won't be here waiting on you. That was probably the most impactful statement I'd ever heard in my life. This amazing, intelligent, itty-bitty, Tennessee, backwoods, fucking redneck balls fan just put me on my toes. I had never had that happen before. Hand to God. Any, any time I'd been around somebody, like I said, I'd been in a relationship for over 20 years. And when it came up, you know, hey, there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity there. I said, I'm on it. Not to be disrespectful to that person, but in my heart, that was what I was wanting to do. Think about it. While you're listening to this show, what was in your heart? What did you do with such passion? And did an individual come up and just knock you on your ass and blow your mind away? When it came up to it, one of the things Rhonda told me, and I loved it. You know, I, I loved her openness and her honesty. I'm not going to wait for you. You know, because she wouldn't know while I'm traveling. You know, she'd heard rumors of what people do when they're deployed. You know, geographical separation you know, booty in every port, shit like that. She wasn't going to put up with that. Fuck, I knew there were guys wanting and chasing her. You know, guys talk shit to her all the time on the job site. And some of them, people she enjoyed, they, just because they were ridiculous, 
they would say things and she was highly desirable. So the months go on. We're going through 2016. I, did, I turned down the job. I turned both the Marshall Islands down and Iowa. And I prepared like crazy for both. I was taking French lessons at night uh, through Pimsler to get that. And then, uh, you know, it, luckily they were looking to wait for the U.S. nitrogen uh, to complete because they were breaking ground. They had other things going on. They wanted me there for the big stuff. And then Chugach, you know, the team, I talked to them. I said, God, I would love this. But I hit the brakes. I mean, that's that's my wife. That's the fucking amazing power and perception that you get when you find the one that you're destined to be with. The blinky blue eyes, yeah, that threw me off. The inverted spider girl, that threw, that was hot. No, and for those wondering, no, we, we didn't do anything with ropes. There's no bondage or anything like that. And no, we haven't been repelling. And I love repelling. I should look into that. Let's, you know, let me get her in a little Swiss seat, her little booty shaking out, and I'll get on belay and I'll just sling her around like a little toy that she is. But I'm smiling. You can't see this, but I'm smiling. I hope you're smiling too. Yeah, we, the year goes on. So as it gets into the year, I get my very first kidney stone. Now that doesn't sound romantic at all, but it actually is. So I come to move in. She said, get out of the cabin that I've been living in for years. I loved my cabin. I love being able to look out at the Nolichucky River. I love where I was at, but something compelled me. It was the feelings that I had for Rhonda and the fact that the only person in the world, nobody has ever said, don't go or I'm not going to stay. And I was like, fucking see ya. You know, you don't get so many opportunities. But it's when that right energy hit with those damn blinky blue eyes and I knew I was gone. I, I knew I was a prisoner. I, I ain't got no shame in that. You know, I'll stand up, get my mugshot, and I say, hell yeah, lock my ass up for an eternity. I've never been this happy. But what made me really happy is I got a kidney stone. Now, again, that sounds pretty damn sad that that would make me happy. I'm, I was hurting. I was throwing up on the site. I couldn't walk. Uh, things were going on. So I went out, and I knew she was the one. I mean, I immediately knew she was the one. And so I was making these grand plans on how I was going to propose to her. Because again, she had the power by saying, go ahead, but I won't be here. Not in a hateful manner, just point of fact. And it stopped me in my tracks. I didn't even think about it, didn't regret it, didn't have any desire. You, you know, there was still a little bit of itch, even after we got married, because of just that fact of always traveling. But I knew I was supposed to be where I was at. So... Prior to getting my stone lithotripsied out, you know, where they stick the laser right up your pecker. I mean, you're out. I was out, out. They went up there. They blasted that son of a bitch. But prior to that, I went out and I was looking at a wedding ring. So I was sending it to pictures to her daughter and her kids and saying, hey, what do you think of this? Until they got the one that was approved. And I went with that. And we were sitting outside one day and I got on Facebook and I sent a picture, but I blocked her. Because back then you could block so they didn't see an image. And I'd say, 
um, when Rhonda gets home, you know, I'm going to propose to her or something like that. It, it really wasn't romantic. I wanted it to be. I wanted to propose to her on site. And when I went to get permission, there's like, yeah, let's not do that for liability reasons, shit like that. You know, something went bad. Um, but if you could see the picture, the very first picture of us, which is on the podcast cover where she's standing there and she's got her hand over her respirator. That was the very first picture of us. We really didn't know one another. Uh, they were, she was getting ready to go into a confined space. I got my back. That's my back you're looking at. And that's her standing right there. And that's where I was going to propose to her, where our very first picture was taken. I didn't know her. She didn't know me. I was head safety. I was going in to make sure because it, it was you know, one of the first confined spaces where they were going in to do some work. And she was itty-bitty and she could fit in there. She was going in. So my hot-ass wife is also a tunnel rat. Go figure. So anyways, I got the ring. She comes home. We're doing what we call porch time. Now, we didn't have chairs back then. We'd sit on the stoop with steps for people that don't know what that is. And I said, the stone is killing me. And she goes, well, honey, I suppose so. It, you know, it's a point, point four. And I pulled the ring out. I said, no, it's a point five. Will you marry me? She started laughing, crying, snorting. Maybe it was me. I don't know. I was in a lot of pain. But anyway, she said yes. What was great about the moment? It was the worst possible. I mean, the absolute worst possible proposal. I was sweaty. I was hurting. All this. And I pulled that out. And I was like, the stones kill me. And she thought I was talking about the stone. What was funny was prior to her coming home, her supervisor, Matt, was sitting next to her on the van and he was going, scrolling through Facebook not knowing that she was blocked. And he saw that and he was like, oh shit! And he's trying to hide it and close it. So we had planned on getting married you know, later in the year. But as fate would have it, my wife and her family being Tennessee Vols fans... Couldn't do that because there was a serious game at that time. Can you believe that? My wedding was moved because of a football game. Not, not the Super Bowl, a fucking college football game. I laughed my ass off. So we moved it to August 20th at 8.20 in the evening. 8.20 on 8.20. We get out there to Nolachucky Bluffs, and it's the Glass Chapel. Google it. Glass Chapel, Nolachucky Bluffs. Amazing little thing. And I looked out. I It had been a hell of a day. You know, my sister Ter, my sister-in-law, Terry Gale, had helped set up. Parents come up. My sister, Dofi, and her husband come up. Everything was set up. And at 820, the sun was going down. We're in this glass chapel, and we could see the river, and it was amazing. When I looked up and I saw my mother-in-law walking my soon-to-be wife down, she was absolutely gorgeous. Google Alan Wolford. Well, don't Google. Go on Facebook. Look up Alan Wolford. Look at the wedding photos. My God, she was a sight to see. And she came in, and Pam Sadler's dad was our preacher. And I took to sweating. There was an air conditioner. Nobody else was sweating. And he started laughing. And he said, boy, you're a natural waterfall. I mean, I was dope. I had never been so nervous in my life. 
And Rhonda came up, and we went through the ritual, and we both said yes. 2016 was probably one of the most painful due to the kidney stone, but one of the greatest times in my life. You know, Jeff called me out. I never planned on staying. I was going to do six months, go back to Alaska, go to the Marshall Islands, do any fucking thing other than stay in East Tennessee. And today, East Tennessee is the longest I've ever lived in states of America. Yeah, you, those that know me know I lived out of Wilmington, North Carolina for over 15 years. But in those 15 years, I actually had boots on the ground, ass in the seat, you know, driving the roads for seven months. Seven months. You know, we'll say a year and seven months if you count the time off station. East Tennessee, blinky blue eyes. Who would have thought? You know, I always say in all my shows, plan, prepare, communicate, engage. But one day something's going to come up. It's going to smack you in the face. I mean, it's going to slap the absolute shit out of you. And all your plans and preparation and communicating engagement, they're just going to go away. And then you're going to have to adjust. And you're going to have to realign. And it's going to be one of the greatest things that's ever happened in your life. This is Alan Wolford, and you've been listening to Diary of a Bald Man. Thank you, and have a great night. You've been listening to the Diary of a Bald Man. How do you feel? A little dizzy? Maybe a little nauseous? That was one hell of a ride, I know. It's our passion to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, Google Alan the Safety Guy. You'll find all the socials there. Connect with us or else. See you next time on Diary of a Bald Man.